Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now I'm a southern child, southern child, down in Macon, Georgia. Everybody knows where I was born. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. All right, everybody, welcome to the outro of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Going along with a little uh, change in format here. So you're hearing this on a Wednesday, a little bit after we dropped the, uh, the episode this, this Monday with Bill. Jacob, what do you think about it? Oh, it was, it was fun. But the cool thing is... We just like barely hit the surface of like what we wanted to cover. I mean, Michael. I mean, still like this is like four hours later. And Michael's still like shaking his legs. So he's like he's got so much to talk about, but we're saving it for episode two. I kind of feel bad. I mean, you know, you Michael, Michael had so many questions and he's like got a hit <laughs> on like two of them. I think the whole episode. It wasn't even the ones he really well, wanted to touch on. I just I, I slacked <laughs> off a little bit because like y'all are duking it out over there. You're like, no, I want this one. No, I want this one. I'm like, Dude, listen, Andrew, y'all can. Andrew, Andrew was about to get physical, bro, asking yeah. questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, dude, Jacob's throwing in these left turns. I'm like, no. <laughs> I know a couple of times he was like, no, 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 me. And like I had a question pertaining to that subject that I just wanted to touch on a little bit more. And it's like, Jacob's like, nope, this is our exit right here. We're going. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's why I kept arguing with him. I was like, no, me. <laughs> Dude, I cannot wait to this is a video podcast. Oh, People man. are going to see like the shenanigans behind the episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Mike, I mean, kind of like what was your kind of overall take, you know, on this first episode? You know, we get at least one more left, you know, to be honest, I'll be, you know, kind of looking at it and the questions and everything. There could be mm, we could do some multiple episodes. Yeah. And we were kind of talking about this not so hijack like but um kind of what we were talking about earlier is that breaking it down by subject, you can go infinitely deep with this. Yeah. I mean, just whatever subject, you just pick one. You right. Know? Yep. Uh I texted Bill, I was like, "Listen, I'm going to have to call you up and and, you know, have a conversation about like a lot of this stuff because we're not going to be able to fit it into, I mean, we could do a hundred podcasts and like some of the stuff that gets my wheels turning, maybe a little bit too much, you know, like to, I guess, talk about. So there's, there's so much to unpack. Yeah. Take it by, you know, take it by subject. We talked a little bit about scrapes. Um, that was really interesting talking about that. Um, yeah, absolutely. When he was talking about like, um, I guess he called it it's like a mature buck scrape. Competitor yeah. scrape. Yeah, competitor scrape. And it's like an area where, like, just all these bucks are just kind of like, you know, touching base with each other, you know, testing testosterone and everything else. And it's like, you know, like, you, you kind of have a, a pretty good example of one area mm-hmm. that, um, I mean, set up very similar to that, where it's just like, man, there was just a bunch of different, you know, individual bucks that were hitting this one scrape. And then, you know, just downwind of it, you know, some of the even more mature bucks were like, hey, man, I'm just – Checking out what's going on and not necessarily going in there for any kind of, you know, argument or fight. Yeah. Yeah. When he was explaining that, it popped into my head immediately. Like, it kind of clicked for me. That's why I was all excited about it during the show. It was like I had that kind of click. But, I mean, some of the stuff with scrapes that I'd love to talk to him about would be 
talking about more situations like like that, but more specifically, the the conditions that affect deer going to scrapes. I mean, the data's there. I mean, he's got it. So it's like, uh, when are they most likely to look at them in daytime? Like, what has to be there? Is it proximity to bedding? Is it a weather condition? Is it a wind condition? Is it a time of year? You know, what what makes a deer get up and go visit that scrape? You know, stuff like that. I mean, you just go super, super deep with it. What makes a deer go visit that competitive scrape versus a community scrape versus some other scrape? You know, I mean, there's just, there's like so many different threads you can pull on. That I mean, there's there's so many questions that I know. Like Michael, you know, the first time we talked to Bill about like brainstorming for this episode, I think we were on the phone with him for like 45 minutes. And like, I was kind of reading through a lot of Michael's questions, like some of the original questions you had that mm. he had on the outline. And I'm like, after I was reading through them with him, I was like, dude, there's no way we're covering all of this yeah. the first time. Yeah, just listen to the, the different episodes. I mean, I got all of those questions. Some of them, you know, are, are questions that I've wanted to ask somebody with that kind of knowledge. Um, but um, a lot of them were from the podcast I listened to because he would just barely, barely mention something. And I'd be like, I've got like 10 questions just for that one thing that he didn't even go into depth on. So there's so much information there. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of value there too. Cause I mean, the, the thing is, you know, from our perspective of like interviewing a bunch of different people and, and seeing what's helped them be successful, you know, throughout their 20, 30, 40 years of hunting experience, you know, the one difference between that and like personal experience versus like the scientific data of like GPS collar studies is like, you know, one is, more so on like being in the right place at the right time, just kind of experiencing things and like, man, this is like what I've seen pattern wise for the last 20 years. <clears throat> it's it's different when you're looking at GPS studies from 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 deer on specific landscape and how they use it during certain weather conditions, certain fronts, certain everything, different times of the year and seeing what correlations can kind of, you know, wrap into, you know, other, other areas. That's the interesting aspect of it, I think, is there's so much there to kind of discuss on uh, that we just barely kind of just scratched the surface of. Yeah, we talked a lot of interesting stuff. I don't feel like we got really deep into anything. Um, <clears throat> there's just so much so much left on the bone. And I'd be curious for the listeners, especially the ones who are tuning into this outro, to write in about like the specific subjects that maybe caught your attention, whether it be like the the – bedding or the core area or the travel routes or the scrapes or anything like that because i'd like to get some feedback so we can figure out what exactly we want to talk to him about for the next episode because i think that we're going to have to do it and again i'd love to hear from the listeners on this where we got a subject and we're just going to clean it off the bone we're going to we're going to really really like do it justice kind of like i was talking about towards towards the end of this one i was like I kind of want to wrap this up because I don't, I don't want to just like scratch the surface of all these right. 10 different things. I want to do, I want to get into all of them and like really pick it apart and, and talk about it to the length that it can be talked about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot there. I'm very excited about, it. you know, that was one thing cool talking about with Bill's, you know, as he said, you know, he's a deer nerd, you know, just wanting to learn more and more about like just what can be learned about the different patterns of, deer movement and habitat and everything or air or not habitat, but habits. And I feel like that's the same way we are. It's like looking at it. It's like, Hey, listen, you know, we're trying to learn every little thing that we can. And it's kind of cool to connect with somebody that 
has that same kind of mindset. It's like, hey, listen, we're trying to dive into the weeds of this. You know, a lot of people, like he talked about, you know, there's certain parts he's like, man, you know, I might be going too much detail. I'm like, dude, keep on going. Because my thing is, it might be kind of high level for some people to kind of like understand. But the thing is, like, when they kind of get it and kind of see, like, where he's coming from, from looking at so many years of data, you're yeah. then like, oh, my gosh, there's, like, there's a bigger picture here with yeah. everything that we're trying to put together. There were two main takeaways that are, you know, things that I realized in this. Uh, one of them being um, – it seemed like there were a lot of differences regionally. So anytime that, you know, I've always seen a certain thing happen and then you mention it to somebody else, they're like, well, you know, this is not what I see at all. Like I'm, I'm almost seeing the exact opposite. And I think that this could be wise because these deer truly are a lot different depending on where, where you're located in the country, you know, what kind of habitat you're hunting. <clears throat> so that was like one thing. The other thing is um, all this information is like it's unbiased. Like, you know, you don't have any biases. Um, if you've got, we you know, a bunch of hunters that hunt the same exact way each time they're going into the woods, then they're going to see the same result, you know. So they don't know what they're missing out on or what they're not realizing because of the way they're hunting. So if somebody goes in and they hunt a lot of middays versus somebody who doesn't, they're going to be like, well, I saw a lot of midday movement. So, like, you know, there's, like, with the rain thing, mm -hmm. you know, if a lot of people don't hunt, you know, when it's wet or when there's pre, uh, precipitation, they're not going to see that. But the hunters that do, that's one thing that they're going to see, and that's one thing that they're going to always, you know, remember and talk about. So there's a lot of different, you know, variables that go into it that are going to, I guess, sway or – you know, some, some kind of bias, whereas this technology takes all of that out of the equation and, you know, you don't get any of that, you know, that, that might change what's actually going on. Yeah, that's exactly right. <clears throat> that's the big thing about it is, is like, I, I really like the whole big data aspect of it because, like, the term big data is getting used more and more nowadays just with how everything is where we're, like, we have more ability to break down this kind of stuff. And this is exactly what big data is where you have – 900 years worth of collar data like no human being could ever go through that and if you did go through it it would be you know riddled with errors and, and your own biases and everything but it's really cool like the the ai and everything they're able to use which which ai and artificial intelligence kind of gets thrown around it's like this big scary term it's just a machine it's just a, a math problem really at the end of the day uh that the computer's doing for you so um i don't know man it's like it's so fascinating to me and it and the the whole idea of looking at i forgot what he called it like the environmental or the evolutionary cues or something like that of the deer where um looking for like you know the patterns of deer across all these different places it's like what did what did deer do like if it's a deer what is it probably going to do like what are they predisposed to do i think he did a good job of explaining that that's a pretty good point uh there's always going to be like outliers and everything obviously but I don't know. It's just an interesting, interesting look at everything. But I guess to kind of move the, the conversation forward a little bit, I mean, did you get any takeaways that are going to change the way that you look at stuff right now? Maybe change the way that you go in on some hunts or anything? Me, not not quite yet. There, there's other conversations I want to have with him, um, which I won't necessarily name, but there's other conversations I want to have that could absolutely 
dictate more so on different times of the year, but also like different different patterns. I'll just put that out there like as a generic generic way. Different patterns that could possibly, you know, come to fruition um, that may or may not affect you know specific time frames of when I want to put more time in the woods. Um, and that's, that's for like set that second episode. I mean, really this first episode has been fantastic. The second episode I'm extremely excited about. I mean, if, if y'all if thoroughly enjoyed this episode, just wait for the second episode. Okay. Like make sure you're subscribed, make sure you're, you're following the podcast because if you like the first episode, the second episode is going to be, I think spectacular and, and just kind of the different things that we're in kind of piece apart with that. Um, so, but you know, so far, you know, the, the thing is. Going into these situations, whether you're looking for a specific bucks bedding area, the one thing that I notice is, hey, Mike, stop laughing because I'm sorry. I know, guys. I'm just I'm babysitting over here, okay? Just, you know, hanging out with these children. You need Michael to get up and burp you? Oh, my God. <laughs> you need Do we need to get a barf bag? <laughs> Grandpa Pike to get up and bounce oh you on Oh, my God. Bed. Children, 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 children. <laughs> no, no, no. But the, the thing that I'm kind of excited about is kind of seeing how we can possibly use some of this other information in regards to uh, just overall deer movement. You know, one thing that we noticed off last week's episode, if you want to listen to last week's episode, y'all need to quit laughing. <laughs> Chill out. And just trying to like, let's let himself out. Just, just He's got it. like his eyes closed as he's talking. Me? Oh, I'm good. He's yeah. concentrating so hard. I know. I'm just <clears throat> trying to keep it together here for you guys. <sighs> Someone's going to have the, uh, the the main personality on this podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> and, you know, I was, was, was going to have to pull up that, you know, pull up that part. <laughs> but anyway, um, but no, I'm excited for next week's episode it, it, or future episodes with with Bill in these conversations. You know, the thing is, there's, there's so much there to kind of piece apart. And the thing is, a lot of his data, yeah, he's got a ton from the southeast, but a lot of it's throughout the country. And like it, like Mike, like you said, it differs. It absolutely differs. And one thing that we noticed from last week's episode, and this is where I was kind of getting at, with last week's episode, with some of these specific bucks, is just like the lack of movement during certain times of the hunting season. And it's like, if you are not within a hundred, at least 100 yards of where he's bedded at, the likelihood you're going to kill him during bow season, slim to none. I mean, I think I think we could all agree on that for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not on whatever that little destination food source that he's kind of come to, you, there's a very low chance you're going to run into him. What's up, Mike? To, uh, you know, one thing he mentioned, if we were going off of last week's, you know, episode and what we looked at with the deer that we had available, I would have also said for myself that this season I'm going to be hunting close to roads and trails a majority of the time and kind of what he said was about five percent only about five percent of the time those deer are actually bedding in those locations so maybe it's such a small sample set that we're looking at that making those assumptions right now or making those plans is you know may not be the most beneficial thing yet until we get some more information because with you if we're looking at those same deer and they're only moving so far, you know, all of the other deer that we don't have access to, you know, they could, some of those deer could definitely be moving a lot further depending on the region and what they have available as far as food sources and bedding cover and that kind of, that type of thing. Uh, another thing that was kind of interesting that came up is we had two listeners reach out to us saying that they had potentially killed a buck. Each of them had killed a buck from that study. 
And looking at the data, we actually kind of looked at that. One of them killed a buck from the safety zone, from one of the examples that we talked about in last week's episode. Same same safety zone, different buck. Same, uh, that's what I'm getting at. Same safety <clears throat> zone, but a different buck. During the same time frame mm-hmm. that the buck that we had looked at that was living in that safety zone was living there. But it's a different buck, which is kind of interesting. That's, there's a little, little bit of juiciness right there. Mm-hmm. And then the other buck uh, was part of a kind of, a, I guess, a larger study, but was going on the same time frame, and it was killed about three quarters of a mile from um, one of these books that we had kind of talked about. That we had posted some some maps about. So you know that's really kind of interesting. So these deer get killed, and one of those bucks was two and a half years old, and the buck that was living in the safety zone, I believe, from what the um, the uh, listener had told me, um, from when they get the the information from the from the GPS study, he was three and a half years old and he killed him. So, you know, two bucks like that, they got killed. You know, it's just kind of interesting, kind of what piece apart. And really the information I'm very curious in is if we had the information of what those bucks were doing during the time they got killed in like weeks before that and then like the day he got killed, kind of what was that hunter's setup like versus what was the pattern of that buck's movement and then kind of the, the whole – playthrough of that buck you killed mm-hmm. yeah that'd be really interesting um one thing that bill said that that kind of caught my attention was uh, even in that early season time frame where his core area is like that really small little little tiny area that he's not leaving in the day um it, it all comes down to stacking the odds in your favor which we all know is like what you're supposed to do but it's like well, what does that actually look like and he gave a good example of it is like yeah, he's in this uh, little 25-yard area, basically, little little quarter-acre area he's spending all day in. But let's say you get an overcast day with a light drizzle, and all of a sudden he's venturing out a little bit from that. And you use all that to your advantage. So, you, like he said, you got the noise cover, and you, you're able to slip in there on where you think a buck is. And, and you slip in there on this deer, and you got the noise cover and everything. You got the fallen thermals with the overcast. And you use those conditions to get closer to him and then stack that on top of the fact that those conditions also make him want to move a little bit more during daylight hours. And so it's all about stacking the odds in your favor. So it's like, it's not just uh, like don't go in there on bad conditions, but it's like understanding what those bad conditions are. Because someone might listen to this and be like, well, why would I go in there when it's raining or whatever on a really moist day? Cause, and especially he talked about on moist days with like scent and stuff. Because mm. I could totally see how someone could look at it from that perspective and be like, well, I don't want to go out on a day like this because all that scent's just going to be so amplified. Right. But in reality, that's the day that he's moving the most. Yeah. So instantly when he brought up that whole picture and then talking about the steep, uh, rugged terrain and them being able to see – I thought about that buck that I ran up on. Um, I went out there in a pouring rain day and basically hiked about a mile back. And it was where both of y'all hunted last year and actually killed or saw bucks. Do you know where I'm talking yep. about? Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. I get all the way out there. Um, one of uh, one of the people I ran into that saw my truck out there said, I couldn't believe you were out there because, like, you couldn't see, like, in front of you it was raining so hard. But I'd made it all – slipped all the way out there and got to the edge and just probably 50 yards across the draw for me was that big huge bedded buck on the side of that steep looking right over at me he had the wind coming from his backside which was a really big thicket which mm-hmm. you hunted in you know what i'm talking about oh yeah he and he had that visual 
he had that visual from left to right, like the whole thing. He could see that whole area. Like, the whole drainage. Yeah. So. No getting up on him. No, no getting <laughs> up on him. You you could, if you were to come in from the long way, if you were to loop in and come, come in from where y'all did, then um, you could possibly come up with a rain and get just, just off wind and sneak up and possibly be able to see him before he saw you, but. So. That that buck that you ran that's that's an interesting you know story. But that buck you ran in on that was kind of using you know that bedding you know it was in the rain but he was bedded in a spot where he had that thick cover kind of to his back and he was kind of watching that drainage. When you finally put eyes on him, I mean, did he already know you were there? I mean, was he like slipping out the back end or did you? Like- oh, when I saw him, he was he had jumped up and was taking off the other direction. <laughs> so. Was yeah. it busted? Was yeah. it was I, it visually he saw you think, or was it the scent? No, it was visually. Ah. Yeah, straight up visually. Um, I had the wind in my face, and he's up the same elevation as me. When I come out of the thick pines, I just found a shed over there. When I come out of the thick pines, um, I'm just kind of looking down in the bottom there and just kind of scanning around. And that's when he jumped up and and took off. If he would have probably stayed there, I probably would have never seen him. But he he saw me, and I guess he saw me coming that direction, right across the draw from him, and he jumped up and took off. Freaked him out. Yeah. Uh, another thing I want to really look at with all this is, and this would be a great thing to ask Bill, is these different bedding sites, how many bucks might use that one site, and how often are there sites where a buck is more often than not? So like the, the deer that we looked at, you know, the one that we really broke down, He's got those six or seven bedding sites that he uses all the time. Well, he's the only one we have information on in that area, but I know that Bill's got more than that. So I'd, I'd love to see if, hey, if he's not in spot A today, is is this other deer in there or this one over mm. here? Or is let's look at this spot in general. Is there a buck in there like three days a week or one day a week or five days a week? You know, maybe different bucks. doesn't have to be the same deer or anything. But I'd be really fascinated to look at that. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Which we'll, we'll be able to look at with what we have because we do have areas with five or six to seven bucks all right on top of each other in the same area at the same time. So uh, we'll get to see kind of how they all interact with each other right. and everything. One thing that also um, this kind of paying attention to, with what we found out with last week's episode uh, that also Bill talked about was like the shape of the cores and, and kind of how – you know, he calls it like an egg shape, an oval shape, whatever mm-hmm. you want to kind of call it. And kind of seeing how it was drawn out with one of the maps that you had made, Andrew, uh, with one of the specific bucks. And, I mean, it was a defined egg or oval shaped. That, you know, he was had his kind of somewhat circular route where he was kind of running around like a couple different ridges. And it was just fascinating kind of seeing that. But the thing is, is how could you use that? And this is kind of like where I was trying to get with one of these questions. I was asking, you know, Bill specifically, and again, maybe there's just not enough data there quite yet to pick this apart, but like specifically looking at topographical maps versus looking at all these scientific, you know, these GPS collar studies. Is there anything topographically wise along with habitat and diversity that you can look at and like most likely this is going to be part of a buck's core? Oh, based yeah. off X, Y, or Z. There's like a, if a thermal hub's there with a saddle, like a thermal hub with a saddle and some major ridge system, 
that's probably gonna be a that's probably gonna be a Corey. Like that's where I was trying to get at with the question. He kind of didn't really answer it specifically like the way I wanted him to, but maybe like something we can kind of talk to him, you know, for our next episode and kind of cover a little bit. But those are the things I want to know is like when it comes to like topographical features, especially in hill country. You know, Flatlands is a little bit different, but hill country. Is there any specific topographical features that truly play a factor? Because what we found out with you know, at least one of these bucks. And again, this is a very small sample size guys from what we're talking about, but it was just kind of interesting seeing it. You know, he was betting a lot of times adjacent to some kind of saddle and he wasn't necessarily looked like he was going up to the saddle to check it. And a lot of times he was going down and like, kind of like what Bill was talking about. Some of these mature bucks would bed sometimes off adjacent from a saddle where they can sit, check everything coming through it, but they're not going to go up into the saddle. They're going to go down in elevation, and they're going to go a different direction and kind of like, you know, check everything else. And that's somewhat similar to what that buck was doing in, in, in the map that we were looking at. This podcast is supported by Hunting Exchange. In this day and age, we all know it is a struggle to sell hunting equipment on large social media platforms, and that's where Hunting Exchange steps in. Hunting Exchange is an app for iOS and Android built by Sears Hunters that gives you a one-stop shop to buy and sell your hunting gear. Whether you're looking to sell your bow, broadheads, technical apparel, stands or saddles, or anything in between, this secure platform allows you to buy and sell gear with confidence. As a buyer, each dollar you spend is insured by PayPal, and as a seller, there are no hidden charges like other platforms, and listing items is also free. Gone are the days of having listings removed from Facebook and worrying about being banned and removed from groups for wanting to sell something as simple as your bow or knives. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play and experience a new hassle-free way to buy and sell hunting gear by downloading the Hunting Exchange app today. I, I saw some interesting stuff today. So breaking down some of these other deer on the data that we have our hands on, uh, I was looking at one of the private land parcels, and this one specific property that we have all these bucks on is kind of half the area is kind of hilly, and then there's like a like a fall line. It's not the fall line, but there's like a quote unquote fall line. What, what where do you, what do you mean by fall line? Where the the hills the hills just drop off and bam, it's flat. Okay, so it's like it goes from hills to swamp right there, and uh, a bunch of these deer were just down in the flat stuff. There's like six right. or seven of them, and I I broke it down. I only looked at two of them, but both of those deer just lived right there on the edge of the hills, down in the flat stuff, in very specific areas, which was they now. Were, wait, what do you mean? It's very similar to what we talked about in the last episode with the Penn State deer study. You remember I was talking about how he had the ridge, and if you had like a big valley or something like that that was really wide and flat, it seemed like they were bedding on the ridge on on that side, and then they're always dropping down into the flatter ground and then going back up to bed in the morning. Whereas a lot of these deer in the more mountainous, without that you know flat area, they're mm-hmm. always going up top. It seemed like more often. Yeah. This specific deer, or these two specific deer, uh, at some point in their lives, I don't know exactly when it was, they did go up, or when they were collared, they did go up into the hills. But for the year that I looked at and the months I looked at, they were they never went on the hills. They literally never went up above like the bottom of those hills in elevation. They were living on the edge of it. They could have walked 50 yards and gone up that hill, and they never did it, which is pretty cool. Um and one thing that was kind of interesting about some of these private land deer I looked at, these are hunting club deer. And uh, I don't know if this maybe kind of goes to 
how hunting club pressure is maybe a little bit more predictable than like WMA pressure. Because uh, I feel like on public land, it's a lot more common for people to get off the beaten path and, you know, get out there with a climber, like, you know, and be mobile. Whereas on a club, you got a lot of guys hunting established ladder stands, box blinds, food plots. Um, one thing that really struck me about the private land deer, especially one of them, his his day and nighttime points were kind of all over the place. He had daytime points kind of kind of everywhere. There wasn't like a very concentrated area. But his area in general of where those day and nighttime points were was very small, like half the size of the deer we looked at on the WMA. Very, very small area oh, for wow. the month of November. So it's funny. You look at it, and in October, he, he was like a little bit bigger. I mean, pretty normal compared to the other one we looked at. Uh, as far as acreage of, of where he was spending all of his time, you know, his core area or whatever. Then November, it shrinks way down and gets a lot smaller. And then December, it goes back out as the rut approaches in that area. It was pretty cool. It was really cool. Like in the month of November, he never left like a very specific. He's basically living. There's a food plot and a road and an SMZ. Like the road and the SMZ run parallel. And then there's a food plot at the head of them. And he's living like in between all those. And like a yep. strip of woods. And I mean, the points are stacked in there where he's just, he's laying there and he's eat he's obviously eating in the pines because he, he's like never leaving the pines. And he'll go to the food plot sometimes, sometimes two or three times in daylight. Uh, and he goes into the SMZ a little bit and he'll cross the road a few times, but he's just living in the pines. So w- one question I had for Bill, and this, you brought it up for me, you know, I... I wanted to ask him on this episode. I really wish I would have, but I'll probably have to save it for the next episode. But the question is, you know, he mentioned in a lot of these studies, especially when it was, um, it sounded like it was more like private lands that were hunted, like hunting clubs and stuff, where there's like designated tree stand locations, okay? And how like the bucks knew all those spots and he, they knew how to like, especially these really mature bucks, how to like, go through the landscape without being scented or seen, and they kind of knew where they could, like, scent check. And I was – a question I had for him, which is something I can bring up for you guys, is, you know, what kind of advantage do you see as a mobile hunter not always hunting the same spot every single time that you would have over these deer versus having designated spots that you have a tree scene hung up in that you're hunting throughout the season? Uh, I mean, from, like, my mind's – kind of still stuck on the stuff I looked at today. All I could think about when I was looking at those maps of those deer is like, if you, if you like knew he was here and he's like all over your camera and you had a pretty good fix on where he was, like if you had uh, you know, depending on like if you run a bunch of cameras and you had him kind of like in this area and you kind of knew about where he was spending his time, it wouldn't take that much to go in there on like a wet, like a wind he's not expecting or something. Because the spot's, like, very approachable. And I think it just kind of goes to show how if the pressure is super predictable, I think that is you can really use that to your advantage. Because you could go right in there. He's he's walking around a lot in daylight. And this is the same for all these that, that I was looking at on um, on private land. Even on a deer that relocated from public to private, it's the same thing. He, he got on that other land where it seems like the, the hunting pressure is more concentrated in certain areas. And they'll, they'll get up and move, at least the ones I looked at, they'll get up and move, and they'll move, but they're avoiding those areas, exactly like Bill talked about. You can tell he's probably, I didn't look at wind or anything, but he's probably swinging downwind. He's, the anytime he visits, like, one of those destination sources, food sources, it's way after dark, 
but he'll get real close to him in the daytime, and he's moving like all day, and he's he's just you know a good buffer off of it, a hundred yards off of it. So I gotta say this. I'm gonna turn it over to Mike. Mike, you and me hunted a spot last year, <coughs> kind of a maybe a little overlooked spot by some green fields, and you had mentioned you had gone to this spot. We were bow hunting, and um, you could like hear a deer like come down to just close to the green field, and like just stay there. And then, like, right before dark, it kind of, like, eased off. So, like, I know you've experienced that kind of same th- stuff. Like, what Andrew was saying is, like, like these deer, like, come into, like, these destination food, z- food sources. They don't go actually out into them. They bed just next to them where they can listen and they can hear and they can smell right. what's out there. So, like, what's, what's your, been your experience? Yeah. Um, were you talking about the time when we saw the does or the time? The one when, when I, I shot the- an arrow. Okay. Well, <laughs> there's that time, too. Do you remember when I mentioned the the buck that I saw in the greenfield? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I mean, oh, that's scenario, a great that's explain a, that great right. example. So he came from his bedding area, which was I would say the, when I first heard him, the distance from the greenfield was probably about a hundred yards away from the greenfield. Um, I heard the birds cut up, you know, probably about an hour and a half before dark, and he crossed the road and looped into a um a draw that came that came out of the greenfield and fed into that draw so basically what he did is he went up set up in that area that way he could go ahead and kind of see what was going on in that area as far as scent and as far as like seeing or hearing anything that might be approaching so i'm set up i set up purposefully on the like kind of where it flattens out and so my thermals would have been pulling away from the greenfield, and I had wind to the face. So there, there's no way that I feel like that he would have been able to smell me. So what he did is he came out, set up there, and he waited until probably about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes before dark. Once he knew that everything was, you know, clear, he went ahead and came out. And he fed right there for I don't know how long. He was always looking up where the access was mm-hmm. um that way you could see kind of like you know if there was anything coming through there um but he never saw me i was on the ground and like i sat there and filmed him for until he walked away um but i mean it, it's all those scenarios if you think about when we went and scouted your old hunting club yeah. do you remember where you said your your you know the shooting house was we went and looked at the shooting house oh yeah we found the beds probably what 30, 40 yards right off of the, the right entrance, off the side of it. right off the entrance to the shooting house. And what they would do, the shooting house is actually set up right there where the, the scent, if you were in that shooting house, it would be falling off to that creek. So those deer could loop around the bottom of that shooting house, see if there was anybody in that shooting house before they actually went up the backside to the greenfield. And that's what happens a lot of times, you know, on this private oh, yeah. land, especially if there's greenfields and shooting houses, um, you know, one thing I would suggest is going and walking the perimeter of that um, of that greenfield, especially on the side like where a lot of your thermals may be dumping from that shooting house. And if I was to go hunt that kind of a place, what I would be doing is getting on the you know the side where your thermals are pulling away from that trail, and you can catch those deer coming in trying to scent check that specific shooting house or see if there's anything in the field. This is partially one reason why. You know, we all, we all hunt a lot of, pro, a lot of uh, public land, but this is partially one reason why I wish we would all join 
a specific hunting club, like a high pressure hunting club, and just like let's let's go and implement this even more so on a property that we have full rain on, that's like highly pressured, but the pressure is very specific. It's designated certain areas, and like let's just see how it rolls. Oh, I'd love. To or you can that. invite us as a guest. My dad, he asked <laughs> me to go down. This was about four years ago now. Yeah. He asked me to go down as a guest. I went down. I think I went down three times. Okay. And I killed three of their bucks. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted me to join the, the next year, kind of, kind of saying like, you know, that I don't think they really wanted me to come back as a guest or at least killing that many bucks. Yeah, as they a want guest, you to so. pay. Come right. on, yeah. son. So, like, geez, man, pony well, up. Uh, give us that fifteen hundred bucks. Let's go, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. No, oh no, but like for I've, I've 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 thought about that for a few years now. It's like. You know, we talked to a couple different guys, actually quite a few different guys that have had six have success on these kind of properties where on these clubs, these hunting clubs, these leases where you have this very designated specific, like you can plan it out where the hunting pressure is going to be at certain times of the year throughout the season. And it's like, it's cookie cutter. Like it's going to be the very. same throughout most of the property. And it's like looking at those buffer zones of, where these deer are going to be coming, whether they're like scent checking a field or they're scent checking stand locations, or there's going through like specific cover types in between stand locations where a buck can monitor like what's happening up there and like hunting those specific spots and having success and killing a quote unquote traveler buck that people don't know about because he's just not coming out to feed sites and everything else. Well, one of the first things you can do and what I did when I went down there as a guest <clears throat> I asked my dad, this has never been on the property, okay? I went down there, and I asked my dad, I said, where does everybody hunt? He says, well, this guy always hunts this shooting house looking down this road. This guy always goes to this greenfield. This guy says that, you know, this is his spot. You know, like he, he planted this greenfield. This is his spot. I okay. love those people. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, okay, so nobody's going right here. Nobody's going here. Nobody's going here. He's like, yeah, nobody's going over there. I've never heard of any of you know, anybody talking about going over there. And so first thing I did is go straight to those spots. Like, I mean, it's just like what we talked about in last episode. You always, you know, all those new kids have never hunted before, you, you know, yeah. you, you gar hole, them. gar hole, them, but they end up <laughs> killing the big buck. And that's why, I mean, you go to these spots where they don't have the information to, to pattern. Like they're not going to be like, Hey, this person is right here. So, they don't have that information. So if you just go straight in there one time. They as in the deer. The yeah. Buck. Yeah. So if they've never experienced anybody being in there, I wouldn't even say go in there and hang a, hang a camera, hang a stand. Don't do any of that. Just go straight in there, hunt it. Then if you want to place a camera, then place a camera when you go and hunt. But like, don't give them, you know, any kind of idea that you're going to be in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's one thing that gets my wheels turning about joining a club again. I haven't been in a club in like probably six or seven years at least. But that really, because you can't really do that on public. I mean, I mean, you can to an extent, yeah. but it's a lot harder to predict where exactly that pressure is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. So it's harder to use that to your advantage. I mean, there's honestly, there's food plots on public and they, they're pretty freaking good because nobody hunts them <laughs> yeah. for the most part. But again... You know, this is one reason. So, um, I was looking at property. My, one of my uncles is in a, a, a pretty nice hunting club, um, not far from one of the properties that we hunt. 
uh, just down the road, close to, actually real close to actually the property backs up against Mr. Benny's. Okay, yeah, 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 oh yeah. And he was, I was looking on the maps, man. It's got a ton of diversity. Like, Mike, if you look at this property, you'd be like, holy. And they've gotten some big old bucks big, on that property. Big deer, dude. Big deer. I joined that club. Abs- well, yeah, absolutely. How much their days? They're, 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 they're like two grand. They're close. Yeah, they're close to that. Well, what are they? Uh, like 70, 17, 1700. Ouch. Yeah, that's, that's a little steep. They're, they're, they're trying, as I was told. That's why I don't join clubs. As, as, I, I, as I was told, they're trying to fade some old boys out. That just um, can't, can't afford it. <laughs> so, um, I know some guys who have rabbit hunted that property. So, but listen, anyway, it's super diverse. It's got, it's got cutovers. It's got super steep terrain in some of the areas. And then like, Creek bombs, all kinds of stuff on this property. But I was looking at the map, and I was like, okay, so, like, where's everybody hunting at? And he was kind of showing me all the fields and everything. We were looking at Onyx, and he was showing me all the different fields. I'm like, okay, power line. there's a big power line that runs through. I'm like, okay, cool. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know, I've kind of looked at this spot here. It's, like, it's super steep. It's, like, like 200 feet of elevation change in this one spot. And I'm like, okay, let's look at it. And I'm like, and I was looking at it, and it is, like, a, there's, like, a giant steep gorge on this property. And it, there's a bench that shoots out from it, and it looks amazing. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I don't know if anybody hunts that. I'm like, dude, I'd be there the whole. You should whole, go there tomorrow. The whole season, dude. It's like a super steep drainage on this property that like comes out like you go down a couple hundred yards and it like pops up to the to the power line and there's that like green fields off of it. But it's just, there's a super steep nasty drainage, and I'm like, dude, I'd be like all over that thing, dude. It's like the only thing different out there versus everything else is like kind of rolling hills. And I'm like, there's got to be a big deer out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, t- he was telling me about, you know, every year that, you know, he's been in the club for two years now, and they've killed some really big deer down there. Um, you know, 138 to mid-140s bucks. And uh, it's kind of funny because a lot of them kill them during the rut. You know, mo- most of the pressures are in the rut, but all the pressure's on these open areas during rifle season. Nobody's going in these spots that, like, you know, these like really steep areas or these kind of diverse areas, you know, with their bow or even with a rifle, they're all hunting these wide open areas and they're killing big deer on these food plots and these cutovers, but they're catching them cruising during the rut. That's what they're doing. Right. But it's like, I'm just thinking like that steep gorge drainage in there. I'm like, there's gotta be some big deer running that bench dude up and down that thing, kind of coming across that power line and going down, like kind of coming up out of it, going up to these green fields and stuff. Cause it's like, it's all like, you know, 12 year old cutovers on top. And it's like that steep gorge going down. It's like 200 feet of elevation. I mean, it's, it's interesting. But it's like that's that's one reason. And, again, we've all talked about this. Is like I'd be very interested in joining a, a club with a lot of pressure. My thing is I don't want to get into a lease or something that's like, you know, five or six guys. I'd love to get into one that's like, you know, three, four, 5,000 acres that's got 25 to 45 members. Just like a lot of people on it. And it's like, okay, let's let's see what we can do. Yeah, let's see what we can do. Yeah, I'd like to get into something like that, or there's some other stuff around here that I'm not going to mention on the podcast, but me and you've looked at before. A place that's known for big deer. Um, not a lot of hunting clubs there, but there's a lot of pressure from like families hunting their own land. If you get what I'm saying. I was talking to old boy about that. Uh, our contact for down there. Oh, really? Yeah, he was like, he said, like, dude, he's at like, the expo. Yeah, he's like, hey, listen. He's like, if y'all trying to get some property down there, let me know. He's like, I know a lot of people down there. He's like, he's like, I can, at least I can. He's like, at least I, I can. I'll t- pay somebody. I'll pay someone to hunt that for real. Like, I'll I'll pony up right now to hunt some of that stuff that I've got pinned, and I want I'll, I'd like you two to go in on it with me too, for real. It's some good looking stuff. It's got history, and I think the same exact stuff would apply. So, uh, by the way, but I it's asked, just a little bit different. 
Uh, it's about the property that those people are rabbit hunting down there next to the really kind of open area with like all CRP and stuff. Like you're, you're, you're talking, we were looking at it's like next to like a golf course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And he's like, he's like, oh, he said, oh yeah, I know those guys. He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. You know, it's a family. You know, they, they just like rabbit hunt. There's like, there's one family they let somebody hunt that's right right down the road, but he only hunts like one corner of it. He's got probably comes to it. He's like, he said that might be a pretty good one. Yeah, I just need to figure out how to he, contact. Dude, the second it's funny, he's like, "Oh yeah, I know exactly who that is." Yeah, and they got a great looking little duck pond on their property too. I don't know how focused man receptive they'd be to that. Hey, that that's just we'll go out there and duck hunt, and we'll we'll be putting pressure in that spot, pushing the deer to where we want them. Y'all can duck hunt. I'll be on the backside killing all. the Yeah, deer see, I was about to say. No, I don't know, Mike. Me and you deer hunting. Andrew can. Duck. <laughs> I'll shoot some ducks. I'll take a morning to go shoot some ducks. But, yeah, I want to get in on those properties. That's not the only one. There's a bunch of them. And you, I don't think you'd need a very big property out there. Um, I don't want to say too much on here because I don't want anyone getting any funny ideas. <laughs> but, <laughs> you like knocking on doors. Oh, yeah, I just had an old boy pick, up, pick it up three days ago. Yep. So he heard loose. about it on some podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, at the, uh, we were at the expo. Oh, we got to talk about weekend. this. This is a good time. And uh, – Jacob said, I didn't want to wear any anything Southern Outdoorsman because I wanted to be able to go and talk to people without, you know, being stopped or whatever. Oh, my gosh. And, just, um, wait, just wait. Just wait. Uh, so, we're in conversation. You know, it's me and Mr. Perry and uh, Parker. Yep. And um, we're all talking. I don't think anybody realized, you know, who, who any of us were, um, especially me, like, I don't, I don't – I guess I don't have the Colonel Sanders look or something because um, – <laughs> well. I don't even. They didn't even recognize him for that. No, the guy can't. So yeah, he was he was passing by and he heard Jacob talking. Oh, he said, "What did he say, Jacob?" He 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 comes up behind me, touching on the shoulder. He's like, "Say something." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> and he's like, "Say something." And I'm like, "Hey, how you doing, bud?" And he's like, "I love your podcast." <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. And I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah. Dude, I listen to your podcast all the time." Yeah, you got Mr. Perry, which has been on every you know hunting magazine in the state with big bucks doesn't realize him doesn't i don't they realize your realize. voice you have a very yeah. distinct voice yeah the, the guys from uh from louisiana i think when he was there and he's like he's like yeah me and my wife listen to y'all's podcast all the time and i'm like cool dude i'm like what's your name and he like oh i can't remember the guy's name oh, it's okay good. jacob forget his mom's name yeah anyway. yeah but yeah that that was funny and michael's like damn <laughs> <laughs> that was funny Oh, that's hilarious. That's not the first time that's happened either, is it? No. You've been at Mark's Outdoors a couple times. Yeah, I've been people. at Mark's Outdoors many a times talking, and someone comes behind me, I'm like, why is this guy creeping? I turn around, I'm like, hey, what's up? He's like, you have a podcast by any chance? I'm like, yeah, so the outdoorsman. He's like, dude, I love your show, bro. I'm like, okay, awesome, dude. <laughs> Isn't that how you met uh, Michael, which was Clay's friend down there when y'all hunting the yeah, WMA? We, we, yeah, we were. Didn't well, he recognize y'all? Well, we were wearing yeah, – yeah, so we hiked in. We were like a mile and a half in, and I had – me and Andrew both had Southern – or, or Southern Outdoorsman Blazing Orange hats. And uh, we were talking and blah, blah, you know, just chatting. And he's like – he looked up at our hats, and he's like, Southern Outdoorsman. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah. And we're like, yeah, it's a podcast. He's like, oh, I'll listen to you guys. And I'm like, after we had been talking to the guy for like 10 minutes. Okay. Like in this – by the way, in this money saddle. Yeah. With all these deer crossings. Oh, my gosh. In yeah. this cutover. And it looked juicy. And anyways, we were talking to this guy. And he's like, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, oh, yeah. We were listening. You know, we were from Georgia. We drove over here, we drove over here to hunt because, just because, like. I'll be danged if he didn't beat us into us, our spot and kill a buck. <laughs> well, I, I missed a buck that hunt, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Did yep. I tell you about the one in Apalachicola? 
had a listener. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Andrew. Yeah, Andrew Peacock. Or yeah, his name is. that was that was funny. He recognized Tiffany, not me. <laughs> oh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was like, because we were just walking, and I've been talking to it was me and uh, my mom and Tiffany and my mother-in-law Tammy, and we had been talking about the Southern Outdoorsman a little bit because like we had some big stuff going on at that point, and uh, yeah, we were walking down the street, and he's like. I can't remember what he said. He's like, Andrew Maxwell? I was like, yeah. He's like, dude, I love your show. <laughs> and, of course, like I'm like, thanks, man. But, like, Mom and Tammy and then behind me, they were like, oh, my gosh. Someone recognized Andrew. <laughs> Celebrity status. Oh, yeah. They gave me crap the rest of the time. It was, it was fun. It's fun though. Yeah, Three hundred miles from home, four hundred miles from home. You're like, oh, people notice you. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. But uh, I'll be honest, I don't like it when someone notices me. If we're at a check-in station, you don't. I don't want you to notice me. <laughs> Just don't talk. We're on the DL. Just do bro. like learn sign language. Dude, I, I wear like a full toboggan. I wear a full beanie, bro. I say toboggan. That's a southern thing, I think. But I wear a full beanie, bro. People can't see my hair, bro. Just look for Jacob's backpack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like I'm going on what's a dead hunt. giveaway. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely <sighs> correct. Dead giveaway. But Man, there's another listener story that I was going to. I can't remember it now. You can't remember it now. Drink another one, bro. Yeah. What was that? Bird. 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 I said bird, but meant bug. Bow. No. Um, but again, just kind of going back to the whole like hunting club thing. I did, I feel like guys that are listening that hunt in a like a, a fairly large lease. When I mean large, I mean like amount of people that are in the lease or in a club. I feel like so much of this stuff, dude. Like if you take some of the stuff that that is talked about in the podcast and apply it, you can have so much success. Because the average guy on that club and lease are not doing what a lot of the people that we're talking about on the podcast are doing. And it's, if you go out of the way to like just try a couple of these different things, you're going to have a lot of success, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's like, you know, the majority of our listeners' success stories last year, a lot of them came from, so a good portion of them came from public, but a lot of them came from private land on these properties. Excuse me. Sorry, bud. Jeez, Andrew, don't be judging me so hard. Cannot wait to this video podcast. But a lot of them came from like, you know, hunting clubs and stuff like that, or family farms where there was a lot of hunting pressure. And they just did something a little bit different from what they've been doing in the past. And they went in there and freaking killed a buck the first time they went in there. And it's like, Mike, like what you're talking about. It's like, hey, don't run in there and just put a trail camera. Go in there and hunt and see if you can kill a buck. If you don't kill a buck, all right, cool. Do you want to put a trail camera? Cool. Do that. But, you know, try to go in there and try to think outside the box and try to have some success. Um, because, I mean, that's a huge, huge, huge factor. That's, again, that's another reason why I'm, like, I think it would be, like, a cool little challenge if, like, we get, like all three of us got into, like, one specific club where there was, like, I mean, I, w- I, w- I really would love to get a club that was, like, there was a lot of people in it. Cheap people, like, oh, man, you know, they let family and friends come, bro. Everybody's hunting greenfields. There's 35 greenfields on a property. They're getting hammered. I'm like, dude, I'm out from the pine thinking hunting off the ground. And freaking, I know of a club looking, looking for members right now that's exactly like that. For real, if you wanted to, I'd walk out back and go into the backyard, like a hundred yards away from the cabin or oh, whatever. Yeah, and just be stacking them up. Yep. Yeah, man. I remember um, in high school, I went to my friend Zach's club. Zach, the one that killed the big giant buck last year, we had him on uh, 165 inch deer on a WMA. When we were in high school, we went to his club down in Alex City, and uh, we we were staying in the camp house, and for some reason, like. We only had a two-wheel drive, and the, the roads were too muddy to, to, like, get to where we wanted to go, I think. And so we just walked out of the trailers. They had, like, a little trailer park where everyone had their trailers where you could stay. And uh, 
we we left that and just did like a walkabout like right there around camp and we found so much buck sign back then and it just went right right over our heads we're like wow look at all those buck sign next to camp we never like made the connection of like you know why they're here or anything like that but i mean that exists on so many clubs for sure there's a huge club that my uh, uncles were in down in uh, i think it was green county super high deer density pretty good pretty good buck you know down there buck quality but they had a huge cancer. This is a fairly large hunting club lease. Um, they had like eight, six or eight um, double wide trailers on this property that like everybody like rented whatever or lease. Like different members had like their different like kind of trailers that they'd stay at. That's a, this is a something, guys. I don't think you have this up in the Midwest. But uh, anyways, I think it was like, oh, it might have been like 3,000 acres or something like that. But dude. They had, like, this huge greenfield right behind, like, huge greenfield. I mean, huge. It was, like, 8, 10 acres right behind, the sh- uh, behind like, the camp, like, all the, the trailers and uh, the, the double wides and, like, the, the camp uh, house and everything. This huge greenfield, and there'd be deer out there all the time. And, but nobody would hunt there. Everybody would, like, take their four-wheelers or trucks. They'd go three-quarters of a mile down the road off some road and they'd go down and hunt somewhere else. I'm like, dude, now looking back at it, I bet you you could have killed a slammer back there, dude, on like the back end of that one of those greenfields in a thicket back there that nobody went to hunt, dude. Mm-hmm. Just like, because it's just, it, it, the funny thing on clubs is, it's like you get two different perspectives. You either get the guys that like think it's too easy, like right behind, like right behind the camp station or, you know, whatever, like the camp house or whatever it is, you know, a couple hundred yards behind there. It's like, oh man, I'm like I'm not gonna hunt there. I'm gonna go kind of go out to a field. I'm gonna drive down the road or something. Or you got the guys that are just like on the other or like the other way you'd be successful is like knowing where everybody's kind of set up at. And we talked to like um, Kevin um, Tullis talked about this a lot in the episode we've uh, I guess did with him last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what episode number that was. I guess we can look it up in a little bit. But he talked a lot about this on hunting hunting clubs is like finding these areas a lot of times like these green fields on these hunting clubs are on like these secondary ridge points and finding these drainages in between these green fields that nobody's going into and like the deer are just stacked in there and a lot of the daytime movement is like in those little spots man y'all just laugh man I'm just trying listen I'm trying to hang with you guys I'm sorry y'all y'all are animals here y'all can't see what's going on but like about every minute Jacob looks like he's Got food about to come up in his mouth. No, jeez. Oh, my God. <laughs> Easy there. God, y'all, I'm babysitting now. No, but um, but anyways, like these drainages and everything, in between these fields, in between these like uh, these areas of high pressure or where these deer are kind of like stacked into daylight movement, you can catch them in there moving in between, you know, these kind of fields or scent checking everything throughout the day. And maybe there's some does coming up top, but those bucks are staying down low. And that's how you kill all those deer. Another reason why I'd love to like kind of test out what we've learned so far in the podcast and personal experiences on some of these places and to see if there is enough there to be able to go out there and like the first year on one of these properties, like kill a couple of good deer. Yeah. And then get kicked out and then like, okay, off to the next place. Well, I wouldn't even say that it would have to be a club with a bunch of people. I mean, if it's a, uh, it kind of depends on the demographic a little bit of the, of the place. I want some, um, I want some good old boys that want to sound shooting houses well yeah i mean you get like you know a certain type of guy that gets out there and i mean you show up for two work days and and pay for seed and you sit on a tractor and you get you know whatever and you and you plant all these food plots like guys are going to want to hunt those food plots if they spend all that time planting and man i used to be in a club in otaga county that 
like looking back at it now, I was like, wow, I wish I like had known anything because <laughs> I did that back then. I just sat on food plots back then. So one one comes to mind. It was a this is actually a really good point. What you're talking about, like it's not about like the members, but it's about like how it's been hunted. Um, one of my uncles had a a pretty good sized lease. It was him and two other buddies. It was like 560 acres over in um uh, maybe Fate County, just north of Tuscaloosa County, mm-hmm. Alabama, and um. It had a, a large creek system that ran through the middle of the property, um, and they had quite a few food plots they had planted out there, and it was a mix of like, you know, probably ten year old ten year old pines. I'd say ten year old cutovers, if Andrew was talking, but ten year old pines, and <laughs> uh, on a lot of the property, they had some really big SMZs coming off this creek drainages, and then like twenty year old pines kind of mixed. That was kind of like the mix there, and then like some, then like there was like two really fresh cutovers, like two year old cutovers. Highest uh, kind of sage grass. And one thing I noticed hunting there is like I saw one of the, again, one of the biggest bucks I've seen in Alabama is a big non typical buck. And he was coming down uh, one of those SMZs on the side of one of those SMZs, really steep drainage. Um, in between, it was a really diverse area, but he was coming from those one of those really fresh cutovers, kind of J hooking around with some fallen thermals early in the morning, uh, just below a green field where you had the 10 year old pines and the 25 year old pines kind of like corner and like touch on this smz and this buck was coming around anyways and of course i screwed up opportunity at him uh but after hunting that property for a couple more days i kept realizing like we'd hunt you know other than hunting that one spot i found where i just kind of looked at the map and it was kind of going in off like diversity and everything i hunted like a greenfield or two and i always noticed the deer like there might be a couple does that come out of the greenfield but a lot of them like you'd be sitting on a greenfield, like a long greenfield, but there would be like a road that you walked in on that was like back behind you, and a lot of the deer were crossing on that road. They weren't coming through the greenfield. They were like eighty to a hundred yards past the greenfield behind you, coming across the road, coming right. from one pine thicket to another mm. pine thicket, and they never came to the greenfield. And you're like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. It's like stuff like that. It's like paying attention to that subtle sign while you're out there and trying to pick up on that kind of stuff. How do we get on this whole public lane or private lane stuff, dude? I don't know, but one thing, I heard this somewhere. It might have been on another podcast, but uh, where someone gave out this tip of like, if you want, like if you're going to hunt a public area, if you want to get on like the bigger deer there, don't hunt near a power line or gas line. Uh, that was, um, well, it depends on how you want to take that. I know Glenn Solomon talked a lot about that, hunting parallel, those parallel trails, so that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, where it's like if, if you're hunting that, like any any buck that, that uses it regularly is dead or about to die, basically. It's something like that, like something so obvious, so easy to get to, so many people hunt it. Uh, so I don't know, that's just another unique perspective. Because I was thinking about it, and that's really one of the only things you can predict on public, is that there's going to be somebody on that gas line, for sure. Um I mean, especially in the more accessible areas. I mean, that's that's pretty much the most reliable area that you could find people hunting is something like that on public. But I don't know. It's a very interesting subject. Very interesting. Makes me want to join a little hunting club here by the house. Yeah, why not, dude? I mean, it, it just would be interesting to kind of see how this stuff relates on some of those other properties. Because, like, we see how it relates on public land, but, like, what about, like, high pressure, like, really high pressure privately? And we're, like, come gun season – there's not a single day probably on most of those properties where there's not a couple guys hunting it. And it's like, okay, they're hunting greenfields, they're hunting the open areas. They want to try to reach out with their rifles. Well, what about these little thickets? What about these little SMZs, these little drainages? Um, you know, stuff like that where 
you know, a buck, it's like that transition staging area that if a buck's going to be like scent checking a field or something, he's going to probably come up through one of these SMZs, one of these drainages, scent check a field, especially with falling thermals, before he actually goes up to the field at dark. And it's like, dude, why not go in there? really makes me wonder, like, what kind of deer might be hiding on a lot of clubs around the state. Because, I mean, you just think kind of like what Bill talked about, that, that buck they thought yep. was a traveler that lived and died on that property of old age and they like they thought that it didn't live on the property and it, it was right under their noses the whole time it's like man what could be lurking out there right i mean probably it's pretty freaking nice deer you know even you have a lot of these clubs they'll advertise and they'll post pictures of trail cameras you know like trail cam pics of of the nicest bucks i'm like man just imagine what they're not getting pictures of mm-hmm. on these food plots it's kind of the way i'm looking at it now it's just, gets the wheels a turning boys the wheels are turning he has some tournament, absolutely. Well, Mike, what you thinking, dude? Yeah, you got a lot going through your I'm mind. I'm ready for the next episode. Clearly, because I know we just like ran off with this episode. You're like, man, y'all didn't even let me ask a question. Yeah, like I said, I really – I don't think I asked a single question, but I did – I added like uh, four <laughs> four more questions to it. Well, you know, my one of my biggest takeaways is just from this whole thing is – there's a lot more to this than everybody seems. You know, I, I've seen some comments before, like, man, you know, all these deer hunting, um, you know, interviews and everything, they're all the same. Like, everybody's like, same perspective, blah, blah, blah. There's just different takes. And the thing is, you know, if that's the way you look at it, that's kind of a sad way to look at it because there's so much there to learn from, like, different people. But the thing is, everybody can have their own perspective. Everybody can have their own take on what – they believe is the right way what they believe is the way to be successful and that's perfectly great and um, that's fine but the thing is the cool thing about like with bill and kind of like the the studies that he has access to is it's taking like that personal bias away we're seeing scientific data of exactly what these deer are doing based of hunting popular or in hunting populations of whitetails and seeing how that relates to us as, as deer hunters and that is a huge difference versus Man, you know, every time I hunt and it's, you know, you could just say whatever statement I see deer, okay? Whatever the situation, I see deer. Or if I don't see, if this doesn't happen, then I don't see deer, blah, blah, blah. We're like, with these studies, he can truly test exactly what in what is and what's not a correlation with deer movement. And that's a yeah. huge part, I think, with all of us. It's like, because we're all trying to figure out what is going to give us the highest amount of success and highest amount of odds of going out there and having that quality buck. If we're, if we're hunting for quality buck, maybe we're just hunting for a one-and-a-half-year-old deer, dude, and, you know, you're a doe or whatever else. But what is going to give us the highest odds of that deer coming by or stand in the right spot at the right time? Yeah. So, And, I mean, there's so many different uh, things that we haven't gotten into. I mean, you're looking at, you know, all the different weather conditions, like your wind velocity, um, you know, the amount of precipitation, cloud cover, moon, um, you know, the illumination aspect aspects of it Mm. um all of these different things hopefully we're going to get into on the next podcast um make make sure you're subscribed yep uh what did you also want to mention what he told us about patreon oh don't want to forget that you you andrew i'm gonna let you plug it bud play it hit it hit it for us bro well um you'll you'll be getting your hands on some really tantalizing stuff that nobody else has access to outside of him so uh if you uh if you want to see that stuff go join the patreon how can they join patreon 
Uh, I'll link it in the show notes. So you can go to the show notes, click on it, go join. You'll get exclusive content. Uh, we're going to start getting really active on there with some stuff. Already got some stuff, some, go- some cool GPS studies and everything. Uh, Bill's talking about maybe doing some more GP- some of his GPS stuff where maybe we can even get some hunter data maybe and kind of see that interaction. So it'd be pretty cool. Um, and then, of course, when the video aspect of this podcast starts up, Patreons are going to get a lot of uh, exclusive content and exclusive access when it comes to that stuff. Awesome. Hey, by the way, uh, I want to. We got to read off some reviews, some new reviews. Everybody, pull up your phones. All right. I got, I got the first one. No, 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 no. I want the first one, dude. Kill, the, killer Coop. What? Killer Coop. No, we we didn't read the other one. What other one? The one below that woke me up. I'm reading that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot we didn't read that Jeez. one. Jeez. All, mm, right. all right. Amateur hour. All right. So uh, what we're about to do is read off uh, new reviews. Uh, appreciate everybody's leaving us reviews on iTunes. If you listen on Apple, you have an Apple product, and you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please go over and leave us a five-star review. It really does help us out. We are currently sitting at 700. Oh, 600. Mm, wishful thinking right I there. I know, wishful thinking. 678 uh, total reviews right now. Really want to try to break that 700 mark. Uh, hopefully within the next week or two. Pretty please. So please, if you're listening to podcasts, go leave us a five star review. Let us know what you love about the show, and then maybe we'll read it off on a new episode or a future episode of the Southern Outdoors and Podcast. But uh, this is one that was left last week. Uh, this is from uh, D McDonald in Tennessee, and the title is "Woke Me Up," and it's five stars. And here we go. This podcast is life changing. As I am a 52-year-old dude with a career that keeps me from hunting or keeps my hunting time short, the interviews these guys have with these successful hunters have changed the way I looked at everything. The only regrets I have is that I didn't hear about these uh, hear about this show until December of 2022. Using these new tactics I've learned from the show, I have found more sign in the postseason in the same area that I've always hunted. I am doing it all, or I was doing it all wrong. Hunting in open areas with pretty woods, now I'm finding beds and big buck sign, and have no doubt that this next season I will be successful. I'll update in September. Love it and keep it up. Awesome, brother. Sweet. Andrew, I'll let you hit up, hit it off with the next that's one. What, that's what it's all about right there. Um, this one is from a fellow named Killer Coop. Drop-off missions, five stars. I agree with dropping off the guy in the kill spot. We started doing it when we saw how fast the deer came to the food plots and feeders on camera after we left. We have even had success driving uh, the mule into plots and leaving it running while Hunter sets up to cover noise and drive off. We hunted Central Georgia, Jasper County, a.k.a. Deer Capital. Great show. Pretty slick, man. I'm telling it's a little hot topic. That's from Mike. Dude, we'll be like, we'll be like the wolf pack of the hunting club, man. We'll all three join a hunting club. We'll be dropping, <laughs> dropping each other off. We'll be wolf packing. All right, honey, I'll be out. back at dark thirty. Dark thirty, yes sir. All right, Mike, you get the next one. Uh, the next one's by Libro Slice. Uh, it says, "Great podcast. Have been listening a while now and hit the backlog or back catalog a couple of times a week. Hottest tip I've used today is a." The three legit reasons to climb that tree, and you're going to see some action. Keep the great content coming. Andrew, Andrew explain. That is a hot tip. Andrew, what's the three reasons? Andrew came up with this, and I think it's I didn't come up with it. I heard it. I don't know where I heard it from, but I heard it somewhere. Dang. All right, well. Sorry to take the wind out of your sails. <laughs> I, I thought it was an original Andrew Maxwell. Maybe tip. I'll just claim it. Sure. Yeah, I thought I came I, up with I, this. I'm pretty sure you claimed it last year. Maybe I did. I don't know. Um, I don't remember where I found it. Anyways, uh, yeah, it, you... Um, 
before you climb a tree, basically, or set up for your hunt, you got to have three good reasons to sit there. And, like, don't cheat yourself. Like, three legit good reasons. No, wind, wind can't count. Wind can't count. Yeah, just because the wind's right doesn't count. And that makes it really hard and frustrating to find a spot. But when you do find a spot, you're in a good spot. And I do the same thing with map scouting before I go into a spot. I try to make myself find three reasons that on a map this particular spot looks good or looks better than any other spot around it. So, yeah, hot tip. Uh, this one's from BBD. Oh, I was going to read it, dude. And you're taking it away from me. Go man. for it. All right, this is from BBD. Uh, Whitetail Toads, five stars. This podcast is truly made for the nitty-gritty whitetail hunter. For us that want to dig deep, learn something new, and adapt, plus have a good laugh. Thank you, guys. Awesome. I love it. Uh, I'll just give a little shout-out to Hunting Exchange here. Um, seems like a lot of you guys have been joining uh, Hunting Exchange. There's a whole bunch of new stuff on there. There's a bunch of bows, a bunch of broadheads, a bunch of camo, a bunch of arrows. What Explain what Hunting Exchange again for all of our <laughs> listeners out there. It's, a, it's an app um, where you can go and sell your hunting gear, and you don't have to worry about Mark Zuckerberg bringing the band hammer down on you. Absolutely. By the way, <laughs> if you're on uh, social media and you're on Facebook and you're on the uh, our, one of our pages, Running Gun Whitetail Hunters Classified page. We've got about almost 17,000 members there now. Uh, we Don't do, post a bow and get a shutdown. Yeah, we do not allow any archery equipment to be posted there. But if you go over and you can post your equipment uh, free to, I guess, really post uh, on the Hunting Exchange app, you can go on there and post you know, archery equipment, broadheads, all that kind of stuff, arrows, all kinds of optics and everything else on the actual app, and you don't actually have to worry about uh, you know getting anything taken down because I personally will not prove anything on the, the running gun page just because we've had way too many issues with that in the past. But yeah, and Facebook will shut the page down. Shut the page down, absolutely. So yeah, check out the Hunting Exchange app. And uh, hey, while we're at it, man, uh, you got old um, Hasmore and and uh, the old classic Hasmore seat, dude. Hasmore gear, um, definitely worth checking out especially if you're using climbers and everything else uh especially if you're using climbers not only checking out their seats um but also checking out some of the other uh accessories and everything else for making um your hunting experience a little bit more easier and also just a little bit more efficient as well so yep getting ready to rip the the seat off my lone wolf climber because that thing is giant loud and annoying so i'm excited to put the asmore seat on it yeah absolutely so appreciate everybody's been uh, all the companies has been supporting us uh, through advertisement and everything else throughout the podcast we appreciate you guys if you go over and support them uh, and uh, also some of the future uh, organizations and everything else in the feet in the uh, in the near future is kind of happening um also there's something else i was going to bring up um dang i'm trying to think what else where we had to go i guess what we had to cover mike what you got got anything else no, my, shout out to the guy that came up with a killadilla. Killadilla, <laughs> that was a, that was in one of the reviews that, from after the last episode. So did did, did we not cover that in the last episode? Uh uh-uh. Oh, Mike, read that one for us, dude, because because you are the killadilla. I don't think so. Did we? I don't know. Did well, we? well, we're about to read. Y'all it, sent yeah. it to me, but I think it was like on Tuesday or something. Uh, you might be right about that. And I don't even. It's dad. I don't even know a whole bunch of letters, <laughs> but uh. <laughs> It said, if Michael's new nickname is the Armadillo, can we agree to call him the Killadilla from now on? Killadilla. I thought that was pretty funny, so shout out to that dude. Yes, that is excellent. Yeah, you know what? I think we did forget to read that one because I remember I circled it and I sent it to y'all. Yep, that is excellent. The the Killadilla, the ginger bow hunter, and and the the wizard. wizard. And the wizard. (laughs) (laughs) 
I can get down with that. I'm embracing it now. I'm, yeah. I'm starting to warm up to it. You start embracing it. Yeah. All the all, well, everyone the wizard, on social media is calling me the wizard now. Yeah, like we like we said, the, the wizard sounds a lot cooler than armadillo. <laughs> so, but dude, I don't know. Killadilla, but, bro, but, is pretty slick. I ain't yeah, gonna lie, man. Yeah, Killadilla steps up a notch. <laughs> Killadilla <laughs> definitely steps up. I, I think we can make a pretty pretty entertaining shirt design out of that. Yeah, we need to make. We Jacob can have a shirt like design. we can have like three hunters on the back, and it's like the ginger bow hunter, the oh, Killadilla, yes. like th- three little stick figures. Yeah. And one stick figure has Jacob's like Colonel Sanders goatee going on. <laughs> I hadn't heard Michael. I hadn't heard the Colonel Sanders thing, and now I'm like, <laughs> now somebody's gonna come instead of Chick Fil A. It's gonna looking, be a KFC. Looking, <laughs> somebody's gonna paste his pictures to uh, Colonel Sanders this week oh on my Facebook. God, like the Chick Fil A one. Yeah, oh you're gonna gosh. have to send it to me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Yep. All right, Colonel. We'll round us out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying. I'm, I, I was trying to think about anything else. Kind of final thoughts, man. I was, felt like I was having something, but maybe not. Um, Mike, chill out, dude. Give us another burp. Just, just <laughs> let her. Just let her rip. Let, let her rip. Tater chip. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Mike Ted said off on accident. My bad. <laughs> no. Um. Just, hey, just listen. Appreciate everybody leaving us reviews. Everybody listening to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. And hey. Make sure you tune in for next week's episode. Very, very excited for the next few weeks of the podcast. Also, hey, if you are wanting special access, we got to touch on this, to some special maps that Andrew is making that is only available for Patreon members, make sure you go to the show notes and you check on the Patreon link that Andrew is going to put in the show notes on this podcast. Also, make sure you go and, hey, even if you don't have the show notes, Go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Check that out because, um, hey, listen, there is uh, – Andrew, what's the map you just released? The time – Yeah, it's the time lapse. Tom, explain that for us. Just kind of, kind of, kind of give us give us the lowdown of what our guys going to get when, you know, they automatically just join the Patreon account because we have had quite a few guys. So instead show. of seeing a map with a bunch of points on it on this deer, you get to see where he went hour by hour, day by day. So you see where he beds and then where he goes, like which way he leaves, how he goes around in the nighttime, how he re-enters the bed. Um, and you just get to see it. it. It gives you like a much, much better look at what he's actually doing as opposed to just all the points on the map. Because you can look at all the points at the map and, and you know, kind of make your own assumptions. But when you watch that time lapse and you see what he actually did, it puts a different perspective to it. Yep. So it's super useful. So it, it's just peeling back the layer. Uh, like you get to, it, it's like a more intimate knowledge of what he's doing, I feel like. Yeah, so absolutely. a lot more of those coming out. Patreon exclusive. Patreon exclusive, ex- absolutely. Yeah, yep. not not any Joe Blow is able to do that. That is uh, strictly <laughs> wizardry. So <laughs> Map it, wizardry. It, it takes a good bit of time, so definitely uh, definitely helps us out. Yeah, definitely. It does. It takes a lot of time. Also, hold on. I'm about to do one thing real quick while we're on the podcast, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. Um, appreciate all the new supporters on Patreon. We actually had quite a few uh, new Patreon members hop on there. Just want to give them a quick shout-out. Uh, oh, pr- yeah. Appreciate nice. uh, Matt, Hunter, Evan, Joe, another Hunter, Robert, Pat, Brandon, Andres, if I said that incorrectly i apologize chase clay ty ted brian Derek, bryson uh travis shane brad another brad 
Shelton, another Brad, Tate, and Tristan, all for you guys joining Patreon over the last uh, day and a half or so. Uh, pre- really appreciate that support, guys. It's really going to help us kind of um, kind of continue what we're trying to do and also add more value to you guys. We've got some really cool kind of giveaways hopefully coming out for you guys on the Patreon, along with special access to a lot of these studies and specific maps that we're not going to release on social media. Um, so, if you, again, if you want to get like a more well-rounded view on some of the things we're talking about and also the specifics of some of these studies, make sure you go check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman, or go to the show notes, check that out, and uh, again, you get special access to all these different accounts, and also special access to also potential future outros with uh, actual Patreon members on there. What's up? And that's Outdoorsman with an E. Ow. <laughs> say it. Oh my god. Say gosh. it to the people. In the, say, say it for the. Say it again for the people in the I back. I told Mike. you about that on the website analytics. Our number one yeah. Google search is Southern Outdoors Man. Yeah. By like a hundred, uh, it's it's ridiculous. I'm like, man, is it like? Are we pronouncing it wrong? <laughs> like, <laughs> nobody searches Southern Outdoors Men. Men. M E N. There's three of us. Some Thankfully, we still we dominate the Google search on Southern Outdoors Man. Dude, by the way, Although we'd be in trouble if someone started a podcast called the Southern Outdoors Man. Hey, you, you know something I'm very proud of? If you go on Chartable, which is you know the kind of the charts for everything for the podcast, if you type in the Southern in the search, where the number four search on there, and the all other three ones above us are like massive podcast like like they have nothing to do with the outdoor world oh wow massive podcast have we broken into the sports category in general top 200 and that's including all the football and there's like yeah a bunch of of, like all the barstool sports all 85 of their podcasts yeah there's tens of thousands of um different sports podcasts Uh, yeah dude absolutely it's pretty pretty slick absolutely all right cool mike any final questions any final thoughts concerns takeaways nope nope what about you? I'm, listen, I'm, I'm good. I'm here for a good time. and uh, I think you had a good time tonight. Yeah, we're trying to get Coors Light to sponsor the podcast. Everyone got contact at Coors Light, let us know. Mm. Or just Coors, not even Coors Light. But, yeah, you know. Andrew's like, hmm. I won't say no. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, any uh, final thoughts? No, that's all I got. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Yep. All right. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And also, hey. See y'all next Monday, and y'all stay Southern. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern.
All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear how do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.